Well, good morning, everyone, and I'm glad each one of you are here. I can probably go down a little bit there, sound guys, a little bit. There we go. Okay, we are in Leviticus chapter 7, if you'd like to open your Bibles. Um, a couple announcements I'd like to make is uh, we have a men's and women's retreat coming up. The uh, women will be in September, the men in October of this year, and it's going to be a time for us just for an overnight to get away, to get before the Lord and to be encouraged by his word and by the fellowship of other believers. And so if you would sign up, we need to have an idea of how many are coming. And uh, I know it's a long ways off, but if you'd sign up, there's a sign-up sheet in the bulletin board. And we set it up in such a way that no one has to miss any work. Uh, it starts 5 o'clock Friday evening, and it's only, what, not even an hour from here, I don't think. Um, and then we come back Saturday. So... Very convenient. And also, um, I don't know if you noticed, we have a, a replica of the tabernacle here in the wilderness. And Vi and I uh, worked on that. It was fun. And it, the tabernacle in the wilderness is amazing because all the details that were given by God really pointed to the way to salvation through Jesus Christ. And uh, we're going to have a sheet out next week that explains every step. Like, for instance, the, the gate. There's only one gate, only one way going into the tabernacle. And that's through Jesus Christ. And now you can understand when it says anyone who comes in any other way is a robber and a thief. You can't go over the fence. You can only go in through Jesus Christ. And then, of course, um, Vi and I figured out a way to lift the top off so you can look into the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place as well. And um, so it's for yours to look at. And please make sure the kids don't come and pull the animals apart and the guys out and stuff like that. So I appreciate that. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how thankful we are for your word, how thankful, for we, how thankful we are for the fact that through Jesus Christ we have eternal salvation, to know that this life isn't the end, but it is the beginning, the beginning of something that is beyond our comprehension, beyond what we're ev even able to think or imagine. And so, Father, as we break open your word, I pray that you would use it to minister to us and to encourage us in all your ways. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You know, it's interesting. I've had people ask me, why do you go right through the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation? And then when you're finished, you go back and you go right through the Bible again. Well, we go through the whole Bible because it's called the Holy Bible, not the Holy Old Testament or the Holy New Testament, the Holy Bible. And the Old Testament points to the fulfillment of the New Testament. And I've heard someone say, in the Old Testament, you have... Christ concealed in the New Testament, Christ revealed. But I think he's revealed all through the Old Testament as well, really, if you, if you think about it. And so we have to understand that the scriptures were given for our learning, that we might be able to have hope and endurance through the scriptures and through all the promises of God. And to understand the importance of the Old Testament, it would be like this. If you went to school and your first day in any kind of mathematics class, the teacher came out and said, Okay, we're going to study calculus today, or maybe statistics or quantum physics. You know, we're going to, you'd have no idea what they're talking about because you wouldn't understand the basics. But you start off by learning addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. And all math is based on that. All math. If you don't know those, you can't do any higher math. And so we have to understand that the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ, it gives us the background of why he was coming. We have to realize that God 
so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's love was from the beginning. God created man in his image to have fellowship with him. Then through the fall, through sin, man was separated from God. But because God is love and because God is forgiving, redemptive, redemptive, gracious, and merciful, from the beginning he was providing a way that man could come back into fellowship with him. Now here's the interesting thing. When we look through the law and we look to the Old Covenant and, for instance, the tabernacle in the wilderness, we understand it was God pointing the way to salvation. But what man has a tendency to do is to make something else out of it, to make it something that he does. It's never anything that we do that brings us into right relationship with God. It's everything he has done. He has done it all for us. So, as Pastor Frank Jr. mentioned last week, God holds the blood of an animal sacred. That's what we're looking at in, in Leviticus. Because the blood was used for atonement. It was sacred to the Lord as a sacrifice for sin. And we're, as we're going to find out this week, God also holds the flesh or the fatty parts of an animal that are offered and sacrificed to him as sacred as well. And one of the things that we have to understand, it's important for you and I not to confuse the, the profane or the common with the things that are holy, with the things that are righteous. In Ezekiel chapter 44 and verse 23, it says this, And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the profane, and cause them to, dis, uh, to, to discern between the unclean and the clean. So God is telling us that his scripture, one of the main points of scripture is to help us determine between, you know, the common or the profane and those things which are holy, those things which are of God and those things which are of the flesh. We have to know the difference between the two. And the point is that it is possible for people um, to be taught or to believe that something is clean when it is really profane. For instance, the difference between faith and religion. There's a huge difference between faith and religion. Religion is all man-made. Religion is, you know, transubstantiation, consubstantiation, you know, uh, all these different terms that we come up with. And, and you know, well, I if you really want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to have this gift. Or, you know, you have to be, you know, whatever it might be. Those are all man-made rules and regulations. We have to stick with what the Word of God teaches. And that's the point that's being brought out in this. When God is telling, do not, you know, confuse the profane or the common with what is of God. Now, we have to remember that God, all through the Old Testament, is giving us a roadmap back to himself. He desires for us to have relationship with him. So we are in Leviticus chapter 7, and we're picking up with verse 22, 22 through 27. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, You shall not eat any fat of ox, sheep, or goat. And the fat of an animal that dies naturally, and the fat, what, the, uh, fat of what is torn by wild beasts, may be used in any other way, but you shall by no means eat it. For whoever eats the fat of the animals of which men offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, 
the person who eats it shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall not eat any blood in any of your dwellings, wherever, uh, whatever, of bird or beast. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from the people. And so you read that and you think, what? What, what is all that about? Well, there's great meaning to it. For instance, we have to understand that the fat of ox and sheep and goats, they were the only sacrifices that were offered to God as an atonement for sin. They were holy and pleasing to him. It tells us in Scripture that when they were put on the, on the altar of sacrifice, that it was a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. And it's not because the Lord likes the smell of steak. You know, mm, that smells good. It's a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord in an in a internal or spiritual sense because, it, because what it is pointing to is that we're offering something as a sacrifice of our faith and our belief in what God is able to do for, for us for the sacrifice of sin. Now, in the same way, we have to realize that we must not attempt to participate in God's work. We can't participate in God's work. He's done it all. All to him we owe. He's done it all. And if we think that somehow we can participate in, in our own salvation, we're greatly mistaken. We're going to get all confused, and we're going to fall to dead works in religion. We have to always understand it is God alone who brings salvation to the heart and to the soul of man. He alone, he, he framed the whole work of how he was going to do it, and he fulfilled it for no other reason than love. I mean, think about that, that God loves you so much that he not only wants to have fellowship with you in this life, but he wants to have fellowship with you eternally. To be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. I mean, what an awesome, what an awesome act of love and statement of love that is that God wants to be with us eternally. You know what I'm saying? It's just absolutely amazing. And um, we have to also realize that which is God's alone, in other words, salvation, is not to be profaned by us thinking we can participate in salvation through our own dead works, because that is making common that which is holy. And so how many times, inadvertently, and not necessarily something that we're doing on purpose, do we think, well, if I do this or if I do that, then I'll have a right relationship with God. Well, if I do this or I do that, then God and I will have fellowship with, with one another. We have to understand none of our dead works will accomplish that. It is only what Jesus has done for us. See, it's not a matter of us reaching up to God. It's the fact that God reached down to us. He reached down. He came down to us. Now, but it's interesting that it also tells us here that um, if the fat of one of the beasts or these animals um, that are used for sacrifice died or were torn apart by beasts, you still couldn't eat it. So even though this was not worthy to be offered as a sacrifice on the altar of sacrifice for uh, the atonement for sin, it still was holy to the, to the Lord. It was set apart to him as sacred. And so we're not to eat of it. It can be used for other things. For instance, you can take an animal hide and turn it into clothing. So the Lord allowed the people to use it for um, you know, some physical purpose that they might have, but it couldn't be eaten. 
because it belonged to God and to God alone. Now, in his graciousness, God's graciousness, not wanting to make a sacred animal of no use, I love it that he tells us we can use it for anything else except it can't be eaten. And so it, the Lord has said, you want to make clothing out of it? If you want to take the bones and make needles out of it, which is what they use for needles when they're sewing or whatever the, you know, the bones, but you can't eat it. Now, in this same portion, we have the prohibition of the eating of blood. And I know that's something that we think about. Well, does that apply to us as Gentiles? Does that apply to us as Bible-believing Christians? Well, I think we're going to find uh, in Acts, we'll get there in a moment, that it does apply to us. And a lot of people wonder, why did God put this prohibition on the eating of blood? Because we're going to find that the life of an animal, any animal, is in the blood. And that is God's alone to give or to take. One of the reasons that we take such a strong stand against abortion is that is God's determination, not man's, to give or to take. And one of the things that uh, at least I find interesting, you can have a lot of medical conditions, you can even have amputations and so forth and still live. If you don't have blood, you're not going to live. I mean, the life is in the blood. If you don't have blood, I mean, blood, I can remember going back to anatomy and physiology when I was doing my undergraduate work and, and, and just the anatomy of blood itself is so amazing. You know that the, the red blood cell doesn't have a nucleus. It's the only cell in the body that doesn't have a nucleus and has a hemoglobin center. And so. But anyway, it's absolutely amazing. And yet the blood is what gives us life. It takes nutrition to all the cells of our body. It carries the oxygen to all the cells of our body. It's so amazing. And so without blood, there's no life. But. Jesus Christ promised us a new way, a new life. And one of the things that's interesting is when Jesus Christ had risen from the dead, and remember, he basically bled out. You know, they, they nailed his hands and feet to the cross. They put a spear in his side, and he, he basically bled out. And when he appeared before the disciples, and they became all frightened, they said, oh, it's a ghost. It's a spirit. And Jesus said to them, a ghost or a spirit does not have flesh and bone. He didn't say blood. Our normal is flesh and blood. And so when we have our glorified bodies or when we are going to be with the Lord, you know, it, it's, it's not going to be the same as it is here. We think that being in heaven is going to be us, just the way we are now, having everything a lot nicer. Well, it will be a lot nicer. But we're going to also be a lot nicer. We're going to be changed in the flash, in the twinkling of an eye. And the Lord is going to give us these glorified bodies for one purpose, that we can serve and worship him in all purity and truth. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when we won't even know how to sin? I can't wait, because we sure know how to sin now, don't we? But at that time, we won't even know how to sin. Now, in Leviticus... Chapter 17 and verses 11 and 12 talking about the life of an animal is in its blood. For the life of the flesh 
This is Leviticus 17, 11 and 12. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. See how it all points to Jesus Christ? For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, no one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwells among you eat blood. So the reason God was making this prohibition against the eating of blood or the drinking of blood was because he was looking to Jesus Christ, whose blood would be shed for our sins. And so we have to understand that the life is in the blood. The blood is sacred as the blood of Jesus Christ was sacred for our salvation. Well, I've had uh, Christians say to me, well, does that apply to us, the eating of blood? Because we're believers, we're Christians. You know, that's the Old Testament. But we forget that everything in the Old Testament was pointing to the fulfillment that would come through Jesus Christ. And to think that we can just take the Old Testament, make it null and void, we have to understand, in fact, we're going to read a portion in Hebrews in a, in a moment that talks about the blood of goats and bulls and so forth can never bring forgiveness of sin. But the point was that it wasn't the, the blood of the bulls and goats, even in the Old Covenant, that brought the forgiveness of sin. It was God. In other words, it was man just saying, this is what I'm doing in obedience to you and to your word. But it was God who received it and gave the atonement. The atoning sacrifice for sin. And we have to always remember that. But anyway, if you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 15. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 15. Because um, Acts chapter 15, we're going to be picking up in verse 19. Acts 15 and picking up in verse 19. <coughs> now what was happening is a lot of people forget that the first church they were all Jews. First church were all Jews. Okay, they f people forget that. And but what was happening is you had a group of Jews who we call theologically Judaizers, and what they were teaching is that a Christian, even if it was a Gentile, someone who came to Jesus Christ, they still had to keep the law in order to have the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And so they were putting people back under the law. You know, you have to, do, you know, perform this sacrifice and you have to be involved in this, you know, sacred event and that sacred event and this tradition and that tradition. And they were laying all this on the Gentiles and it was burdening them, them down because they weren't raised with this. And so they had what we call the Council of Jerusalem. And they went and they presented uh, their case before Peter to make some kind of a decision of what would be done. And they shared all this. And this was Peter's answer that we find in, in Acts chapter 15 in relationship to the responsibility of the Gentiles concerning the Old Covenant. Therefore, I judge that you should not trouble those from among the Gentiles, these are the Gentile believers, who are turning to God that we write to them to abstain from. Now, these are the things that apply to Gentiles, to abstain from things polluted by idols. In other words, we don't get involved in anything polluted by idols. From sexual immorality, from things strangled, and from blood. You might wonder why it says, and from things 
thing strangled. Because if you strangle an animal, the blood is still in its body. And that's the reason, for instance, if you have a, a, any kind of kosher meat, they'll take the cow or whatever it is and they hang it upside down and they literally slit the, the, the throat and the blood all runs out. And they bleed the animal out. So even for New Covenant believers, it's telling us that we're to abstain from strangled animals and from blood. Because all this, I believe, was to preserve in the minds of people the reverence of God's altar and his own sacrifice. God's altar was the cross, and his own sacrifice was Jesus Christ. He was the only man who ever walked this terrestrial ball that was without sin. He committed no sin. He was pure and holy in himself in every way. And yet he hung on that cross as a sacrifice for you and I. And his blood was shed for you and I. And so all of this was pointing to the sacredness of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so you and I, by faith, we can receive Christ's sacrifice as for our own sin and be cleansed and purified. And if that were not enough, Christ promised, and he does send the Holy Spirit to dwell within the heart, the cardiac, the inner man, to dwell within our hearts for the purpose of us now being able to have relationship with God. You see, remember in the tabernacle, you only had the priests that could go into, you can't see this, but the first part was called the holy place. Only the priests could go in there to take care of the lampstand, take care of the showbread and the altar of incense. Only the priests could go in there. And then only the high priest and once a year could go into the holy of holies where he would offer the blood of a sacred animal, the blood of the lamb, for the atonement of sin for the people. But you and I are able to enter in any time and be in the presence of the Lord. And it's interesting that the altar of incense was right at the curtain that goes into the Holy of Holies. And boy, if you want to be in the presence of God and be in the Holy of Holies with him, there's no better way than through prayer. Prayer is probably one of the most neglected uh, gifts that God has given to Christians, and it's probably one of the most prosperous gifts that he's given us. I mean, we can go to the Lord in prayer and be in his presence. It's so amazing. But understand, it was God who did it all. Because if we are not, if people are not born again, if they have not given their life to Jesus Christ and accepted his gift of salvation, they stand outside, they stand outside the, the whole tabernacle. They have not entered in at all. And the sad thing is that there isn't, well, what do I have to pay to get in? You don't have to pay anything. All you have to do is have faith and believe, and you'll enter in. And now that separation between God and man is, is, is taken away. Now we're in relationship with the Lord. Remember, in the Old Covenant, they had to have priests the gap between them and God. You know, the people came in through the door, laid hands in their sacrifice, and it was slain, which was them making a statement, I'm offering this as a sacrifice as, as atonement for my sin. But only the priest was able to take the blood inside the holy place, and only the high priest once a year into the holy of holies. So there was that separation between 
man and God, the priesthood. But now what does it tell us? That you and I, through Jesus Christ, are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And why are we a, a royal priesthood? Because we can go right to the Lamb, right to Jesus. He is our high priest. And we go right to him. Here I am, Jesus, forgive me a sinner. I want to be in fellowship with you. And we can be. What's the greatest joy we can have in life? If we're really being honest with ourselves, for most of us, it's things, fun, you know. But in reality, what is the most exciting and rewarding thing that any of us can have in life? Relationship with God through Jesus Christ. What's more valuable? What's more awesome than that? That you can get on your knees and be in the presence of God. You can open his word. We call this the word of what? And it is. It's the word of God. Now think about this. What if you went out to your mailbox one day and you had a letter in the mailbox and it had a stamp on it like you've never seen and you, and, and, and you, you looked at the return address and it said, from God. <laughs> what would you do with that letter? <laughs> you'd go running. The, I, I can't wait. And you'd, you'd study and, 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 you know, every word of it. And, and you'd, you'd, you'd feast on every word. Well, God has given us a letter from heaven, his word. The Bible is the most amazing book that you'll ever read. And the fact is, if someone reads it in all honesty, it is beyond what anyone can even imagine. You know, so many people think, well, it's hard to believe the Bible if you're scientific. It's hard not to believe the Bible if you're scientific. I'm, I'm dead serious. I was a science major. It's hard to believe, you know, not to believe it. Everything in here is so amazing. If you look at through the eyes of faith and belief and you look at the reality of it, but the problem is you have so many unbelievers that they look at Scripture from this perspective. I want to disprove it. Rather than looking at it, I have an open mind. I just want to read it and see what it says because God has provided the way. Now, all of this that we're reading about as far as the, you know, the, the uh, animals that were sacrificed, the blood that was let you know, for the uh, atonement for sin, all pointed to the altar of God. And understand, it is not anything that we offer that makes the altar holy. Scripture tells us, right? It is God who makes the altar holy. It's not the gift on the altar. Isn't that what Scripture says? But it's God who makes the gift. Because what the only thing we can do is say, God, I believe. God, I love you. That's all we can do. He's done, he's done all the rest. And we come into right relationship with him. Now, fat, of course, as we talked about, was offered to acknowledge uh, our reverence to God as far as his atoning sacrifice. But the blood pointed to Jesus Christ. The blood and all of these sacrifices were pointing to Jesus Christ. They might not have known it, but they were all pointing to Jesus Christ. Someone who really loved the Lord and studied the Old Testament with an open heart and was not involved in religion, when Jesus Christ came on the scene, they knew who he was. And they believed. And so in the same way, we have to understand that 
everything was pointing to Jesus Christ and to the blood that he has sacrificed for us. And therefore, I'd like you to turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 and go to verse 11. Hebrews 9, 11. Remember, it was the high priest that went into the Holy of Holies once a year to offer to God the blood of atonement. Now, can you imagine if it was God who went in and offered his own blood as an atonement for sin that we might have relationship with him? Well, that's really what we have in Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 9, starting with verse 11, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. And so the tabernacle that we have up here, that the children of Israel were, were given explicit instructions on in how to construct, it was for a reason, because it was all pointing to Jesus Christ and his ultimate sacrifice for us. And that's what Hebrews is bringing out. And remember, the writer of Hebrews was writing to Jews. He's trying to give them an understanding between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. That's why it's called the letter to the Hebrews. Verse 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all. Jesus died once. He doesn't die many times. He died once and he died for all. Having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled sprinkling the unclean, uh, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot uh, to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. In other words, the dead works of, of the Old Testament were just leading to the, the real promise of God. Verse 15, and for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of the death, by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal of in, eternal inheritance. Wow. I mean, you could take that portion and study it and study it and study it, because it's a letter written to the Hebrews telling them that everything that we have in the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus Christ. And you know, something that's interesting in here, it talks about the ashes of the red heifer here. And you might be thinking, what are the ashes of the red heifer? It talks about the ashes of the red heifer to make things clean. The red heifer had to be a heifer, uh, a cow, a heifer, that was completely red and did not have more than three white hairs on it. And the red heifer had to be inspected by the high priest from the time it was born up until it was two years old to make sure that it had no more than three white hairs on it. It had to be completely red. And then if the red heifer was eligible, that red heifer was taken, was sacrificed, and burnt. And the ashes of that red heifer were put into water, and that is what was used to cleanse the temple and all the holy articles of the temple, the ashes of the red heifer. Well, you might be thinking, what does that have to do with anything? You know, one of the things that um, all of you are aware of, when we think about world affairs and we think about the news, all we think about are politics. You know why? Politics are like right here in our face. 
You don't go on the, you know, the TV and, you know, world news tonight. You know, it's politics tonight. And the reason I'm bringing this up is there are things that are happening that believers aren't even aware of. There are things happening in the Middle East that are pointing to Ezekiel 38. And those of you that aren't familiar with Ezekiel 38, it tells us exactly what's going to happen just before Jesus Christ comes back for his church. In fact, you want to read Ezekiel 35, 36, 37, and 38 because it goes all the way from the Jews' exile to their being brought back as a new nation and uh, to what's going to happen just before the return of Jesus Christ. But one of the things that we know will take place is that there will be the building of a new temple. And in order for a new temple to be built, all the articles of the temple have to be sanctified. And the only way they can be sanctified is with the ashes of a red heifer. And in Israel today, there's a red heifer that they're watching that they believe is going to be the red heifer that they can use for the sanctifying of all the articles. You know, when we were in Jerusalem, we went to the Temple Institute. They have all the articles for the temple. They're there. They're right there. They have the menorah. They have everything. But they need the ashes of the red heifer to sanctify them. Now, do you see how everything is coming to such a crescendo? Everything is coming to such a point in history. You know, you have all this that's happening on the spiritual side, and even as far as the Jews preparing to build the temple and, and to sanctify it and so forth, and also what is happening politically in the world. It's all coming to a head. The focus of the world is on the Middle East. Think of what's happening in Syria. Think of the nations that are involved in Syria. Everything is set up. The stage is set for these nations to come from the north against Israel. And when they do, God will intervene. And he will send fire from heaven and destroy them. And I believe at that time, the rapture, raptos from the Latin, which means to be caught up, of the church is going to take place. And we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so it's so important of everything that's happening in the world, all this crazy stuff that's happening in the world, the most important thing is, is, a per, is our salvation and the salvation of those that we know and love and come into contact with. That's the most important thing in the world. Listen to this. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, listen to this. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And so if we see things coming to such a point, to such a crescendo in world history that everything is going to just completely go crazy and explode, how important is it for you and I to have a right relationship with the Lord? The one thing I know is I don't want to be on this planet when the tribulation takes place. I read the book of Revelation, and I realize what's going to be taking place on this earth after the church is taken up. I don't want to be here. And the only way we can know, we can have absolute assurance that we're not going to be here is by being born again of the Spirit, by committing our life to Jesus Christ. And to understand this, in order to be a born-again Christian, you don't have to go through catechism classes. You don't have to go through this. You don't have to go through that. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. 
You know how you become a born-again Christian? You see it in Scripture. God, forgive me a sinner. God, forgive me a sinner. Take over my life. And he will. And what a joy it is to not be looking to things and circumstances and material possessions or whatever to bring joy to your life and to bring peace. Because if you really think about it, and I, I mentioned this last week, people aren't really looking for fame, fortune, and, and you know, and so forth. People are looking for peace. Everyone wants peace in their life. Fame and fortune will not bring peace. The highest suicide level is among very successful people. <clears throat> you look at Hollywood. <laughs> look at Hollywood. You look at Hollywood. They're the most miserable people in the world. Into this marriage, into that marriage, into this thing, into that thing, following this, following that, going here, going here, and they're completely unhappy. So what does it profit? Nothing. But you can take some poor guy that lives in a two-bedroom apartment all by himself but loves Jesus Christ, and guess what? He's got peace. He's got what none of the, those other things can offer and bring. And um, I mentioned this last week as well. I'm gonna, going to uh, end with this. K-N-O-W, Jesus, and K-N-O-W, peace. N-O, Jesus, N-O, peace. Fact. If you know Jesus, no source, if you know Jesus, you have peace. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have any peace. Because there is something in the heart of every man that speaks of eternity, of eternal life, or eternal death. And the fact is, it's free. It's free. What do I have to do? It's free. It's free. Just exercise your faith. Confess your sin and ask Jesus to come in and take over. It's free. And my prayer is, and I'm sure this is the case, that everyone in this room this morning knows Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ, today is the day of your salvation. It's simple. It's not anything you have to do or anything you've got to figure out. It's simple. And that we would become soul winners. We would become evangelists for Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, wearing t-shirts, turn or burn, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing, bench press this and all these kind of crazy. I'm just talking about you and I being evangelists. What does it mean to be an evangelist? Is that we make the most of every opportunity. When we're around people and the opportunity avails itself that we can share Jesus Christ, that's being an evangelist. You know, when you try to force something on people, they put up the shield. But when the Lord opens the door, you can just pour the truth into their hearts and let them make the decision for Christ. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and we thank you for your word and for the truth that we find in it. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would take the things that we've learned this morning and apply them to our heart and life that we might be your witnesses, we might be your evangelists in this world. And now come in all of your love in all of your glory, and minister to each one of us personally and individually, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And God bless you, my dear friends.